Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I know you stayed up for that football game last night. Come on, man, tell me. You not, did. not a chance in hell that I stayed not up a, to watch a Thursday a night football when the Packers barely had a running back and the 49ers the barely had anybody. They barely had a roster. For right. Game. Uh huh. No, it was it wasn't some good football. I'll be honest, <laughs> but I watched because that's what I do. <laughs> and what'd you think? It was football. All right, <laughs> right. Well, there you go. I mean, that's the problem is I'm the sucker that will sit there and, and support their ratings watching bad football. I mean, look, you saw some great throws from Rogers to Devontae Adams and people who have players in fantasy i'm sure were interested but if you didn't have a rooting interest in that game it's unlikely that you were going to watch that game so i'm going to i'm going to throw something out to you so you can think about it for and you can mull over it after and then we could discuss it after uh, we come back after judge uh, coach curtin's uh, interview of oh, after watching rogers on thursday night who's the MV, who's the leader in the mvp conversation rogers mahomes wilson or brady I got stats for you. I got all sorts of stuff, but I just want that to just like sit and rattle around in your brain. Until right, I, want until you to, we I want you to save that for me because we're going to be joined in a minute uh, by Philadelphia Union coach Jim Curtin. Uh, we have said it many times, uh, the Union are the most fun team and best team in Philadelphia right now. They have the chance to play to clinch first place in the playoffs this weekend with a home game on Sunday. Uh Jeff does everything right. We may get to go hang out and watch it. Let's see. <laughs> if, I, if I do everything, you're the one who can't pass security as far as I can tell. No, no pressure or anything. <laughs> it's, uh, um, it's all good. But so, you know, we've, we've gotten to talk to Coach Curtin a bunch over the years, and you can see how proud he is watching this team build. But to get to this moment, they, they've got to be pretty excited right now, Jeff. I mean, this is an opportunity. They've, they've already clinched in the CONCACAF Champions League. They can win the supporter shield, not a conversation that was held among union fans many years ago as this team started off. Uh, and, and you can see the growth. You, you talk about it being the true process in the area using that evil word that you don't like so much. Uh, but, but it's exciting to be able to, to talk to him about what's going on with that team. It truly is the process. I mean, this, you know, we talk about it week after week that if you're going to build a franchise, they've done it exactly the way you would want to do it. The question always is, is even if you do it right, whether or not it's going to be successful, because everything has to still work. I mean, if you bring, if you have homegrown players, if you're going to develop them, you still have to pick the right players. You still have to develop them and you still have to find a way to fit them into your system. If you're going to bring in veterans, you have to bring in the right veterans who fit into what your concept is and then also mesh with the younger players. You still need to get a goalie, or if it's in football, a quarterback, or if it's baseball, a catcher. You still need that, that integral piece back there. And you also need the coach, and you need the front office. And, and everything that the union has done has fallen into place perfectly for this moment that as of one day or what two days before the final game of the season, they currently have the most points in the entire league. And, and you know, we've they talked to Coach Curtin. You know, we've talked to Coach Curtin about the fact that, 
you know, in the past about watching this development because, I mean, he's developed just like the team. It, it's, it's not often that the coach who starts the process is also the one who's there for the culmination of the process. It's usually some other coach who gets them, develops them, but doesn't reap the reward of being there because they think they need somebody else to get them over the hump. You have your coach who also is a local guy who has now been able to be part of this entire process from the developmental league to the big club to being on top right now. And, and he is the guy and he's a major reason why all these guys fit is because he's been able to put all these personalities together and you see from the way that he cares about the players and the way the players talk about him that he's the right guy for this moment. And he and they have been very accessible as they try to build this brand. And we obviously appreciate that, but we think it's good for the audience and the listeners to be able to hear more about this team. So, uh, you know, obviously they got a crazy weekend. We talked to him a little bit earlier about it. Why don't we go to the interview? And then when we come back, we'll talk a little more about the team and what they got going on this weekend. Always excited to be joined by Philadelphia Union head coach, Jim Curtin. Coach, how are you doing today? Good, guys. Thanks for having me so much. Uh, we, we love it when you join us. Uh, some season you got going on so far, you've clinched a playoff berth, clinched a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. We've got Decision Day coming up this Sunday as the Union have a chance to play and lock up the Supporter Shield. This has been a crazy season for you. What does it mean to you and the organization to be in the position you're in with the opportunity you have right now before you? Well, look, I think it's been a challenging uh, year for, for everybody, sports aside completely. You know, we've all faced different challenges in life. Uh, it's been unique and chaotic, and we've had to adapt and adjust in so many different uh, things we used to call normal in life. So um, our team is no different. Uh, the season has been stop and start. It's been uh, down in Florida in a bubble uh, restarting and, and getting momentum and, and being a really consistent team throughout the year. Um, the players deserve a ton of credit. The the commitment they've shown in the locker room, uh, the environment that, that we've created uh, with my staff, the challenges to get better each and every day. And uh, we've put a fun product on the field. We're a really fun team to watch, um, especially at home where we're, we're undefeated uh, at Subaru Park. So, um, we have a little bit of the season left, one one more challenge, and then from there the, the real season starts in playoffs where we think we can beat anybody. Coach, we've talked to you over the years about the growth of this team and how they've, they've actually put together the real process in the city of Philadelphia. When did you know that this team had what it takes to buy for the best record in the entire league? That's a great question. So I think... Uh, when you talk about consistency and, and trying to build a culture at a club, um, it does take time. Uh, it's not going to be snap your fingers and all of a sudden um, players are just going to be in an environment where they can get better and we're going to just win games. Um, it, it really took a lot of foresight from our ownership to, to go big on the youth academy model, um, you know, to, to have, believe we could build from within. Um, and again, now as, as, the time's gone by. We've, we've improved gradually every year. It, it hasn't been this um, lightning in a bottle moment where we just all of a sudden were like, hey, we're, we're one of the best teams. You know, it, it took time. I think the first time I realized we could compete and play with anybody was probably last season. Um, 
when we had the good run and then got our first playoff win and had a tough loss in Atlanta. You know, while we, we lost that game in, in front of 50,000 people, I looked around and you had you had teenagers starting for us. You had this Ali Bedoya, our captain, who had, had done so much for the group. Uh, and you kind of realized, you know, something special is here. And then this season started and, and we've been on a great run and now to be in, in first place going into the last weekend shows – uh, kind of proof of concept. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the youth movement a little bit. We we spoke with Anthony Fontana last week about the season he's yeah. had. We, we've um, talked to Brandon Aronson in the past. What's it been like for you, Mark McKenzie, to see some of these homegrown players, many of whom you've worked with since before they were with the big squad and were kids themselves, stepping in and play such big roles for you this season? Yeah, it's it's surreal. My my son is uh, an eight year old soccer player right now, uh, and, and I think back to when I had Mark, uh, Anthony, Matt Real, Brendan Aronson at eight or nine years old, and and, and they were just young kids that loved the game and running around. Don't get me wrong, they were special then. You could tell, <laughs> but um, you never know through the the trajectory and pathway of a young player um, what's going to come up. So they've now taken it to a whole next level uh, where they're going to be, I think they're all ready and have the quality to compete in the highest leagues in Europe. So um, obviously they want to win a trophy here first for Philadelphia, for the city. Um, but the talent that they have, it's been awesome to, to watch and be a, a small part of their, their growth and development. How beneficial has it been for these guys to kind of grow up together? Incredible. So when you talk about culture, um, these kids are in school together. Uh, they, they share stories every day. They grow together. They go through good games, bad games, um, off the field problems, uh, you know, on the field things that they can learn from each other. Um, so they have a real bond. Um, so as a coach now, these are the guys because they've been in our system for so long. They make you sleep at night because you know what you're going to get <laughs> every every day, you know, day in and day out. So. Um, it's so valuable to have that the youth academy that we have. Um, that Tommy Wilson does there, uh, Richie Graham. It's been exceptional. Just preparing our players for not just the, what it's like to be a professional on the field, but also uh, all that goes along with it off the field, which is a lot more complex than maybe people think. <laughs> they see they see Anthony step out there and score big goals, team winners. Uh, they see Brendan dominate, get bought for almost nine million dollars, but. They don't see the behind-the-scenes things that these guys sacrifice and work in the weight room and eating right and, and you know, the school that they're still doing and, and finishing up. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, and those guys deserve a ton of credit uh, for the success of this season. You know, we've, we've talked to – last week we talked to Anthony about uh, not only growing up in the Union Academy but having family close by. Has it been beneficial that a lot of these guys that are growing up in the program have family close by and are able to also have that that second support system as they go through maturing into a professional soccer player? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. So, you know, all young players need a feeling of security and, and, and self-worth and all those things. And, and who better to get that from than your family? Um, Look, it can be also a distraction, too, for some players because, gosh, the ticket request for these guys is 50 every game. You know what I mean? So they have to keep people happy. It's not easy. <laughs> um, but, again, for them to have uh, their family be not only a phone call away but also um, 
a drive away to go grab a dinner with a meal or whatever it might be. Um, because the, the life of a professional athlete can be lonely at times. Um, when you when you have an injury, for example, you're not around the team. You you almost feel like you're not part of something. So to have that support system and family close by is is a real weapon for us. So the more of these homegrown players we can uh, we can have, um, the stronger our group becomes. So you can see again that real bond. And, and certainly, it has to be said, it's no coincidence when you go through McKenzie, Aronson, Real, Fontana. Uh, the parents uh, that they have are, are really the biggest part of these kids' development. I think too often now we give credit to coaches for, you know, who developed Christian Pulisic or who developed uh, Messi or who developed Neymar. Um, in a lot of cases, it, it starts with the parents. Parents develop players, and, and they, they give them that discipline and that love uh, and that guidance that, that kind of gives them an opportunity to, to reach their full potential. You know, you obviously always try to put the spotlight back on the players and, and the work that they do on the field. This is obviously, as you mentioned, been an odd season. What's it been like for you and your coaching staff to ride this roller coaster uh, with not only the challenges on the field and COVID, but, you know, an age of social justice and everything else going on to, to be able to bond with these players and have them go through this together? What's that been like for all of you? Yeah, I think the, first and foremost, I'm, I'm most proud of our club uh, and our players for what they've done off the field this, this season. Um, they've been a real voice for change, uh, for positive change, uh, for moving this country forward uh, in so many different ways, whether it be voting, um, you know, the, the inequalities we have with how African Americans are treating our country. They, they've really stepped up in a big way. Uh, so I'm, I'm more proud we could win the supporter shield this weekend and that will be great. But I, I still have to say I'm, I'm most proud for the the growth and the, the maturity that our players and leadership that they've shown all season. Um, you know, with that now, um, it's been unique as a staff. I have to say it's, it's made us feel like we can handle any crazy situation environment with, with coaching in a pandemic, you know, it's not unheard of to go into a morning meeting and have a plan together, and then all of a sudden uh, you have a player that tests positive and he's out, and now the plan has to change. Uh, we've had players that have gotten stuck in different countries with visa issues because of this, uh, going away for international duty and, and they can't get back in the country. So there's been so many obstacles and hurdles to – I just said hurdles. That's not a word. <laughs> so, many, so many hurdles uh, that we've had to – get over um I, I think the ultimate reward uh for all the work that's going on from the players and the staff um would be to to bring philly the first trophy here coach if you could pick one word to describe this team what would it be and why i have to say resilient uh you know look we're, we're a lot of words i think we're fearless i think we're young i, I like all those words too but um the resiliency that this group has shown um you look at the amount of goal scorers we've had this year. Uh, it's not just one guy that's getting 20 goals for us like it is on so many other teams. Um, everyone's contributed in a big way at a different point of the year. Um, we've, we've started, uh, gosh, it's almost 24 different players, uh, which is more than most teams. And and there hasn't been a big drop-off. Uh, in, the, in the key moments of seasons, and there's, there's usually lots of them, uh, different players have stepped up. So um, from that sense, we're a, we're a true team. Uh, I'm really most proud of the group for for that resiliency to 
never get too high, never get too low. Uh, and, you know, again, step on the field and, and really have each other's back. And if, if the other team scores the first goal, uh, we're resilient enough to, to know that we can can get it get get a tie and 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 ultimately win the game with a, a late goal. So really proud of the group, but uh, that word jumped into my my mind pretty quickly. Um, and you kind of have to do that during this uh, unique environment of of the season we've had. You know, Jeff and I have talked about how you're the hottest team in Philadelphia and, and people should certainly be watching. How excited are you for this opportunity Sunday? You've got destiny in your own hands. You get to go out on your, on your home pitch where you haven't lost all season and, and try and do something that this organization hasn't been able to do before then take your next steps after that. Where is your head right now as you go into this game? Yeah, look, again, I've tried to keep the players as focused as possible on, on just being the best version of the Philadelphia Union. If we play our game and our soccer, um, the result takes care of itself. And it's been the same message all year. Um, we've only been beat a couple times this year. And after every loss, we've bounced back with a, a big victory. And I expect this weekend to be uh, no different. Uh, even when we went to Columbus against a very good team this, this uh, last game, we, we dominate them on the road, and, and some days it doesn't go in for you, and that can happen. So, um, you know, I expect our group to bounce back. Um, you know, we'll be, like you said, on national television uh, in, in front of uh, only 2,800 fans that are allowed in the stadium, but they'll be loud for us for sure. Um, the players will be motivated. Uh, and again, but most importantly, I want them to feel like they don't have to be great. They just have to be themselves. And again, if we're the best version of the Philadelphia Union, the, the record and the data shows you we'll, we'll win the soccer game. Well, Coach, uh, we always appreciate the time you give us on the show. We love getting to talk a little bit of soccer with you. Wish you all the best of luck on Sunday, and uh, look forward to seeing you bring one home for us. Thanks so much, guys. And, and, yeah, we'll do our best uh, on Sunday to, to make the city proud, and always always a pleasure joining you guys. You take care and have a great day. Thanks a lot. Jeff, they st- – Started 24 different players this season. That was, that jumped out at me. That I mean, that's huge turnover in a lineup to have the consistency that they've had. Obviously, some challenges going into Sunday's game on the plus. They'll have Jose Martinez back, um, who was out with COVID. Uh, they won't have Andre Blake in goal. He had surgery on his hand to hopefully have him recover better in time for the playoffs. Um, what are your thoughts based on what we heard from the coach and what we expect to see on Sunday? Steady hand. So, you know, he was very quick to say what his, his word was in resilience. Mine is from just being on the outside looking in is steady. And that there's no better word to describe this entire team, including the coach. You get the impression from him that nothing they could throw at him nothing they could throw at this team is going to cause them to panic. They may, they've lost their goalie for the, at least for the next few games and there's no panic. They have young players. And if, if, if one of them goes down, they have somebody else So there's, there's this next man up, but not next man aside that they, they all seem to be a team. And if you go through, even through their stats, you know, you were you would have expected before the season that Casper would be the leading goal scorer, right? Um, he is, but then you have so he has eight. Santos has seven. Did you expect Anthony Fontana to be third with six? I doubt it. Brendan Aronson, he's fourth. He has four, and then Montero is fifth. And then you go through the assists, and you know Brendan Aronson, still a young guy, 
who's, you know, they're going to have to be replacing next year. He leads the team with seven yeah. assists. Montero second was tied with tied with Casper for three, uh, with six. Aaron, huh? Aaronson looks like a different player out there this year. You were not, you and I were at games last year where he was overpowered at times. And we laughed one time at one of the chants from the sons of Ben section where they were saying that it was abuse of a minor because you had, you had these 30 year old players just running him over and there were no penalties being called in the process. And you don't see that this year, you know, he ends up on the ground because that's the type of player that he is, but he holds his own and his confidence and vision clearly continues to grow with each passing game. Some of the passes that he's made um, have just been spectacular. So one of the things about him is one, he's, he was as close to a minor as you were going to be for a professional athlete. Um, he's, he's a slight guy. He's not big. Um, and I remember last year when we were talking to coach Curtin and he was talking about Brendan learning to use his body a certain way to avoid hits, to, to get around guys that are bigger than him. And, and I found it fascinating because it's not somebody, as somebody who's not an expert in soccer, I didn't understand the use of the body the way that Coach Curtin explained it. And I think the way Brendan explained it later on. So it's interesting to see that how quickly he has been able to learn. Now, when I say quickly, he's been involved in, in the Union Academy since he was how old? Seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range. So he's gotten that kind of instruction. Imagine if your kid could get that kind of instruction that early on, I mean, uh, and to be, if my kid has my genes, it still won't help. Right. But <laughs> I, I agree with you. Same, same, same. I'm not going to fight with you, but, but it is amazing that when you, you identify talent at that age, now they don't always work out the way Brendan did or Anthony is working out or Matt Rail's working out, but They've identified these guys and somehow they've been able to teach them from an early, you know, our kids, when they play sports, even if they're playing um, organized sports or playing on travel teams, for the most part, the coaches are, are parents. Okay. They get, a, they may get help from some academies and stuff like that. These guys have been getting help and assistance from professional athletes and professional coaches who know what they're talking about. With our group, it's actually the guy who's the head coach, right? So they've learned and they've they've applied it, and now they're reaping the benefits of it, including the big club doing the same thing. So as they head into this weekend, uh, Coach mentioned it, a tough loss against Columbus 2-1. They had plenty of opportunities, gave up a goal late. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like it's clear yet whether Matt Freeze or Joe Bendick will be in goal. Um, that, that I haven't seen that announced yet, so I'm not sure what they're going to do there. Uh, the union. Well, it's an interesting choice. Your, your choices are a guy who has a little more experience in, in MLS versus a guy who's younger. But Matt Freeze was here last year too, so well for them when they needed to call him to action. And let's be honest, Andre Blake did not play at the level last year that he's playing at this year. No, yeah, he, but he, he was playing at the level this year that he has played in the past. I believe he was the MLS goalie of the year at one point. So, and he's played uh, that way this season. It's, it's yeah. a shame what happened to him. And, you know, you hope that the hand surgery, obviously there's time. So for people who aren't familiar, the, the final games, it's decision Sunday, 
the Union will be on national TV at 3.30. All the Eastern Conference games start at 3.30. The Western Conference games start at 6.30. Toronto FC plays Red Bull New York. They uh, Toronto won the other night when the Union lost to Columbus. So that's why this game is for what matters. They haven't clinched yet. The Union will play the New England Revolution at home, who they have had some success with, but clearly will come in to try and play spoiler there and, and try and get their own points. But the way it works is the regular season will end on the 8th, but the postseason doesn't start until the 20th because there's a FIFA, FIFA international window. So the first postseason games for the Eastern Conference play-in won't be held until Friday, November 20th. So from the, it's, and we didn't ask the coach about this, but I, I can only imagine the physical toll on the players. They've had weeks where they played three games in a week um, the postseason is going to be 17 knockout matches played over 22 days, beginning on the 20th and ending on December 12th. Uh, Here's my concern, though, is that two-week window, that international window. So you have go- for the MLS has done a great job of keeping COVID away, right? Um, if these guys are now going to go over and leave, that's going to open a whole can of worms. I'm not sure how many union players are going to go. I saw Martinez today is actually not going. He went and played in the international tournament before he got COVID, but he didn't play. He just sat on the bench. They went over there. So I'm not sure how many players from the union roster are going to play in that international window, but you're right. It certainly raises concerns, especially with what we're seeing in some of the other leagues right now with COVID. Yeah. you're, you're You're not only talking about whether or not they actually get it from someone, it's whether they can get back in the country in time. Well, and then how long they have to quarantine for right. in the country. But if they have to quarantine for 14 days and you've got three matches in five days or in seven days, that, that's a problem for you right there. It's one, it's one of the dilemmas of, of, of the MLS is that they have these issues with the international clubs and they have these issues with guys when they get good enough, like Brendan going over and playing in Europe. It, it's, 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 it's so unique to anything that we see in any of the other sports because you have to deal with the fact that we are not, meaning we, the United States, are not the top league in the world. You want to get any other sport, we are. We'll obviously look forward to the game on Sunday, see what happens with that, talk about where the union go next on next week's show. Jeff, let's talk some football. You want to go college or pro? Both of them have COVID problems. Yeah, well, the latest the latest COVID problem is the Pac-12 is now there are what twelve are there with twelve teams or are they up to fourteen in the Pac-12? Not all of them. I think it's fourteen, right? Well, we know at least four of them are not playing now. So we we knew before today that Washington and Cal had canceled their game, and and when and when people are sitting there going, no, they didn't cancel it. Yeah, they did. They're not making it up. This is not a situation where the games get made up. The fact is Cal and Washington will not play. And now today there's been an announcement that Utah versus Arizona, they will not play. So you're you're down two games. Wisconsin, Purdue canceled this Mm -hmm. week. COVID, Louisville, Virginia postponed, not necessarily canceled. We'll see whether they reschedule that. There's an outbreak in the Cardinals program and Clemson apparently will play against Notre Dame, but Trevor Lawrence will be out though. They say he'll be on the sideline, which is weird to me. So I, I, I don't get this at all. I mean, look, I, I have my issues with Clemson. I, I, I do not understand how their coach, how their coach gets away with the things that he says and the way that he acts other than he, as long as you have a national championship, you can do whatever it is you want. If, 
you have players and coaches that if they're not playing are supposed to wear masks, not be there. Why in the world is Trevor Lawrence on the sideline? Tell, tell me what the, I, I understand the benefit is that he's the leader of the team, but if he can't play because of COVID and he still needs to get certain tests done, then he should not be on the sideline. You want to put him up in a box? You want to put him in a section all by himself on, in the stadium? I'm okay with that. He should not be on the sidelines. It's just one more unnecessary risk. I was surprised by that. I really was. It's a, you know, he's not healthy enough to play, but he'll, he'll go and stand there. For the I, I, I wasn't surprised because it's Clemson. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Alabama or an SEC team. I, I don't get what the separate rules are where one conference does one thing and one conference does another and one team within a conference does one thing. Versus because that's the NCAA. They all talk tough, but in the end, the big schools that bring in the dollars control everything and they, they make the decisions they want to. That's why you, you see the power five conferences wanting to separate from everybody else. That's why Nebraska thinks that they're big enough that they don't have to listen to the big 10. It's, you know, it's everybody sort of thinks that they're bigger than the system. It seems like in college football and look, even with all those cancellations, got some huge games this weekend, your Michigan teams playing Indiana who waxed my Rutgers team last week. I may have missed my opportunity to play the Rutgers fight song this season, Jeff. You think that was it? You, I, mean, you think that, that I may have missed the window. It? Well, oh, I will tell you, to hear that. Um, they play in primetime against Ohio State on Saturday night, and they are 37 and a half point underdogs. So that should go well. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did enjoy, I did enjoy the, the tweet that you sent me about how Rutgers is already asking that, uh, that Ohio, Ohio State stop the count when it comes to scoring. Scored the first <laughs> touchdown, they asked them to stop counting. I mean, you got BYU, Boise State. I mean, you got some big college football games. Temple locally will play against SMU. They've had their own challenges out of the gate to get things going. Um, you able to get into college football yet? I know you've been having a hard time. You got the the cocktail party, Florida, Georgia, going on. So like, there are big games, and I'm I'm into it. Notre Dame, Clemson, Saturday night. You still struggling there? You know, I was struggling, but I, I will readily admit that that once my team was playing, it made it a little easier to watch. Now, when my team decided to, you know, choke against their in-state rival, it made it easy to turn off too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm. This is my prediction. Jim Harbaugh goes back to the NFL after this year. He's going to have to go someplace because he's not going to be in Michigan. Well, look, it's it's going to be, you know, people think that's easy. People from the outside think that it is going to be easy for them to just say to Jim Harbaugh, go. Now, How much would they owe him if they did that? None. His contract's up. Okay. I'm pretty sure his contract, he's on a year-by-year year contract, so why don't which was the same thing that they did with Bo Schembechler. So he thinks he's Bo Schembechler light. The problem is he's Bo Schembechler light, you know, and, and, and he's still... No, he's doing the things that Bo did 30 years ago. But the NF, the, the college football world has moved on. Offense has moved on. And, and for people who watch and follow the Big Ten and watch Michigan, it, Jim Harbaugh has been there for six years. When he came there, he was supposed to be the quarterback whisperer, right? He had Andrew Luck. He you did what he know. did when he was in the NFL with Colin Kaepernick. This is the first year of six that he started the season with a quarterback that he recruited the prior five seasons, 
he brought in guys from the outside. He brought in Jake Rudock from Iowa. He brought in Shea Patterson from Mississippi. He brought, he brought in guys, even though he would go out and recruit these big names, the most recent of which was Dylan McCaffrey, who's the, the brother of Christian and one of the other son, uh, sons of Ed. And he left this year. And so Milton is the first quarterback to start who was actually recruited uh, by Jim Harbaugh. And they're not exactly opening up the offense for him. Now, I don't know. They, they seem to have a problem throwing down the field. I don't know if it's him or I don't know if it's Harbaugh. But here's the problem with Harbaugh, and Harbaugh is going to have the same problem if he goes back to the NFL. You are not going to see a coach who's much more conservative in play calling than Jim Harbaugh is. And I don't know. There, there's a reason that, his, that he wears out his welcome after three to four years everywhere he goes. He's, he's kind of an odd guy in the way he deals with the media and he deals with players. If he's going to go back to the NFL, I think he's going to have a hard time if he's going to want to run uh, an offense like Andrew Luck was. First of all, that's not the kind of quarterback that's coming in and being successful in the NFL now. And offense has become a bigger deal. Being a team that just runs the ball down the field and relies on defense, how many of those teams are there in the NFL that are successful now? Virtually none. Yeah, it's not where the leagues are right now. And and look, eventually players don't want to play in a system that doesn't prepare them for the draft. That was the whole reason that players went to the big 10 for the longest time is it was a pro offense. You, you know, if you're an offensive player, you were stepping into a pro offense. If you were a defensive player, you were going to the sec or the big 10, because that was pro style defense and prepped you for the league. Now you've got the NFL is a little more wide open and, and you're at Michigan there with a pretty conservative offense going on. Now, look, I don't know what Rutgers offense is going to look like. This is a new program and a turnover, but clearly I'm going to need to have a more open offense with Shiano there. You better hope you do. You also better hope you find a quarterback that can throw the ball. Working on it. Working yeah. On but, it. but, you know, after all these years, I understand why he had to go in Philadelphia Andy Reid is still ahead of the curve, is he not? I mean, what, what he's doing in Kansas City is, is nothing short of incredible after all this time. And he has found a way to adjust his offense. Now, it's easier to adjust his offense when you have the best quarterback in the game. But let's face it, he identified the guy. He went after Pat Mahomes. I think that he's more innovative in Kansas City. And that may be the weapons that he has, but remember, he he helped pick those groceries there too. Yeah, and so he knew what he wanted to build, and he's built it. I, I just he didn't run that type of offense here. We had the McNabb worm burner going into the ground all the time. Well, the and, question, and, well, and the question is, yeah, but could McNabb have run the Mahomes offense the way that Mahomes is running it? I don't think anybody. Well, that's it. okay. So you said two different things there. Could he have what? run the Mahomes offense? Possibly yeah. the way that Mahomes runs it. Absolutely not. So there's, there's two different things there. Could he physically have run that offense? Probably. It doesn't necessarily play to all of his strengths. Could he have run it the way that Mahomes does? Absolutely not. And look, I mean, they just keep getting more weapons there. They're basically New England now where guys will sacrifice getting paid to go play for that team. Speaking of New England, what do you think of Bill Belichick coming out this week saying they paid the price for going for it all those years, and now they don't have all the talent on the team? Jeff, I know you, you know, feel awful. No, but, but at the same time, 
I, I admired the fact that he came out and said exactly what is going on there. I mean, it, it, it was, I'm not a Bel Bill Belichick fan. I can appreciate how good he is as a coach. I also could not appreciate how much of a cheater he is. But the, fa the fact is, is that what he's saying is something that is true. And it's something that almost any city in America would have wanted. He sold out and the Patriots sold out for three Super Bowl championships and a fourth appearance in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was good. At some point, the bill becomes due. And part of that bill was you're paying Tom Brady. And I understand Tom, Tom Brady took some of a cut, but you were still paying Tom Brady. You were paying all of these guys. So you lose your franchise quarterback of the last two decades. That in and of itself is going to take time to replace. And you also lost some of these other players. And by the way, they had a ton of guys that opted out, probably more than any, any other NFL team at the beginning of the season. So they did not have a lot of depth. Am I going to cry for the Patriots? No, I could care less. But the fact is, what Bill Belichick said, there are very few times that I actually applaud what he says from behind the microphone. This is one of those times. Jeff, we got about 10 minutes till we move over to the stream for the rest of the show. So I want to do some NFL COVID talk. And then after Well, wait, no, no, we have to go back to what I, you're, oh, you're yes, trying right. to buy more time. I no, the, honestly, the, I didn't really listen to you well. And so I just. All right. So then I talk. will pose it to you again. You can put in a fifth guy if you want to. If you had a Mr. Fencetter, you actually have to tabulate a vote. And this is election week, so you actually, actually have to an, vote. I actually had an answer for you. Go ahead. Okay. So your, your choices for, for MVP in the NFL at this point in the season are Aaron Rodgers, who has 2,253 yards, 67.5 completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, two interceptions. Mahomes, 23.15 in yards, 66.9%, 21 touchdowns, one to interception. Russell Wilson, 2151 in yards, 71.5%, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions. Or Tom Brady, 2189, 66%, 20 touchdowns, four interceptions. Which one are you going for? I'd probably go Russell Wilson. Why? I think he means more to his team. And I don't know if that means that you're the MVP of the league, but I think that if you take him off of that team, they struggle mightily. They have zero run game. Uh, All right. So they do so, have weapons at wide receiver. And believe me, it bugs me every time I see DK Metcalf on a football field that he's not wearing an Eagles jersey. That's a totally separate story right there. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'd probably go, um, I, I, I wouldn't do Vito behind the glass says Brady is the dark horse and Russell. Um, it's funny. I'd probably go Russell or Aaron because Aaron again, doesn't have the weapons. Heck they drafted another quarterback instead of getting him a wide receiver and then didn't trade for Will Fuller. And he still went out, dropped dimes last night to Devonte Adams in the game. So again, I think that those two players mean the most to their teams. What's your choice? Well, I actually would go with Aaron Rodgers. Now, now I know you're going to be surprised by that, but Brady is not the one that I would say is the most valuable player because if you take him off of that team, yeah, I don't know if they're as good. They certainly aren't as good, but their defense is really good. Rodgers and Wilson are stuck on teams that absolutely 
at the offense is carrying the team and having to deal with the deficit that the defense is putting up. Mahomes is just somebody we're just going to take for granted, I think, from this point forward. I mean, yes. 21 touchdowns and one interception. I think of all the teams, though, Mahomes and Brady have the most weapons to work with. Wilson and Rodgers are doing it with maybe lesser talent, not lesser talent. They're all NFL players, but, but without some of the, the stars and weapons, you know, the, if you look at the Kansas city offense from the consistency on their O-line at times to their tight ends, wide receivers, the backs they picked up. I mean, they just have an immense amount of weapons. That's not to say that Mahomes isn't important. He obviously is the straw that stirs the drink there. Um, does it surprise you that I actually like made a decision here? Yes, it doesn't. The decision you made doesn't surprise me. The fact that you made the decision is what surprises me, that you actually came off the fence. I did. I was clear. I'm impressed. I, I, think I, this is, I think this is new Jason. I, probably not. I'll go back to the fence. Don't worry. <laughs> I, don't want, I just don't want you to get your hopes up because then you'll be disappointed, Jeff. Okay. So, right. You know, just because I have a take one time during the show doesn't mean that I'll have other takes during the rest of the show. All right, all right. I will not take your fence setting for granted. All right. So we talked about the COVID problems in college. Jeff, a third of the NFL teams this week have been hit by COVID-19 issues. As of Thursday afternoon, there were 12 teams that either had to place a player on the reserve COVID list or had to shut down their facility due to a COVID scare. I'm out, I'm out. dude. The Packers had someone test positive this morning after playing in the game last night. That's not good, right? That's really bad. Now, is don't the, jump is to the player. Is it the player who was wearing a mask during the game? Did you see that? The Green Bay offensive lineman had a mask on under his face mask. And it's the only player I think that I've seen in the NFL so far wearing a mask while he's playing on the field. If that turns out to be the case, first of all, you, you, get, the, you get the gold star for super sleuthing to come up with that. If it turns out that that's true and that they knew, even if they had a, some suspicion but didn't have a positive result, they should get, I mean, with all of the sanctions going on in the NFL right now, that would be the biggest one. If they put a guy in the game that they had suspicions that they might have COVID, they're going to get slapped pretty darn hard. I don't know if they're going to get slapped as hard as the Raiders keep getting slapped, but that would be really bad. Yeah, tell our listeners, the Raiders and Steelers got a little punishment again this week. Tell us, tell them what happened. Well, John, I mean, John Gruden has actually... Because he says that he contracted it over the summer. Um, Gruden, if you watch on the sidelines, never seems to have his mask on. I don't know what is going on. And and they wear a face mask. They they have made it clear. The league has made it clear. Gruden keeps giving lip service to this. And by the way, the Raiders are also the team that had a, a, it was a fundraiser, and I give them credit for a fundraiser, but that wasn't the way to do it under these circumstances. And that's what they decided to do. So the Raiders are now repeat offenders and have actually been the first one to lose a draft pick. Now it's a six round draft pick. It's not that bad, but considering how valuable draft picks are, it's still a problem if you're a Raiders fan. Were you surprised that they took a draft pick and just do a financial hit there? Because to me, that's the NFL saying they're actually serious. 
these are rich clubs, even in a pandemic, they've, they've right. got lots of money. So, you know, a $500,000 fine is kind of a slap on the wrist in a billion dollar industry. Well, and but they also donate that to charity and, and it get, becomes a, a tax write off. But taking the draft pick away, now all of a sudden you've got a long term impact. That's that there's value more than just the dollar amount there. I don't know how they don't. So they've done this to the Raiders now. At this point, they should now say, no longer are we going to wait till you're a repeat offender. It's pretty darn simple. Put the mask on and wear it actually over your face. So Tomlin's issue was he had like a gator mask scarf on, which is the one you can just pull up and pull down. And it was just wrapped around his neck like he was wearing as like he's Charles Woodson wearing his scarf during the pregame shows. You have to put it on. You know, there's no reason for you not to have it on. That's the other thing. So if you want to, if you want to pay a hundred thousand dollars, you want to lose draft picks. They should just have got. They should just have people there at the games that are just watching to see what's going on. It sounds like they are making the sideline area bigger so that there's more room in between players. They want the players when they go on the field after the game to wear their masks when they're talking to each other. Are they taking this seriously enough, Jeff? I think the NFL is. I mean, uh, uh, short of short of of creating their own bubble what else do you want them to do the question is whether or not all the players and the coaches are taking it seriously enough well that i don't know whether they're taking it seriously well you do know you know gruden's not taking it seriously enough you know tomlin last weekend wasn't taking it seriously enough you know that there are players that haven't taken it seriously enough i think the vast majority of them are but you're only as strong as your weakest link especially when it comes to something like this are they going to get it right? We got 30 seconds before we go to the stream. Is, gonna is get who going to get it? Is who going to get it right? Close to 30 teams right now dealing with this issue. Are we going to see the season play full? I think we will. I think the question is, how are they going to play? When they get to the playoffs, are they going to go to a bubble? If they go to a bubble, then they're going to get it right. If they don't, then all chaos will break out. We'll keep talking about that on the, on the other side. If you're listening in your car or on your radio, please stay with us online, on Facebook, on your DBAM app, or just ask Alexa to play WWDV. WWDV now concludes their broadcast day. They're licensed to operate on 860 kilohertz in Philadelphia with studio locations in Ballackinwood. WWDV is owned and operated by Beasley Media Group, licensed LLC. Jeff, let's continue here with this stream and talk more about what's well going done, on. Well done, by the way. Well done with the read. Good Enjoy job. The read. So for our, our listeners on the stream now, WWDV, when the sun goes down, stops its broadcasts in uh, November and December. So you can catch us live on our Facebook live stream. You can yeah, Donuts has to explain any more than that. Five, it's, <laughs> we don't really understand that either, but we do our best with it. So we'll be back for the full show on the air in January. But we'll When we get the sun to come back up earlier or later. Uh, I don't really think that that's the way it works. But that's okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Jeff, uh, as I said, all these teams challenged with COVID. We talked about the punishments. Uh, Let's get to the Eagles and, and what happened. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So I, uh, wait, let's not get off of this whole idea of you asked a, a pretty serious question, which is, will they get through this season? Do you think that they're going to institute a bubble when they get to the playoffs or are they going to just run it the way that it's currently being run? I think they're going to try and run it the way it's currently run. And I have serious concerns about what Okay, so, so here's the problem. Okay, let's just say you have eight games on the first playoff weekend. One game gets canceled. What do you do? What exactly do you do at that point? You well, can't you postpone the 
the the entire playoffs. Yes. That's all it's going to take. If, if you're not going to do a bubble and you're not going to put them all into a couple of locations and say, guys, look, for the playoffs, this is the way it's going to be. If you don't do that, you could blow up the entire playoffs with one positive test. Have you seen anything that indicates that they're going to go to a bubble? Because everything I see is talks about the format of the playoffs. Are we going to have a 16-team playoffs? So Everybody gets a participation trophy, Jeff. I know you're going to love yes. how that works. Now, the interesting thing that I found is their the Giants and Jets will not get a participation trophy. <laughs> but their 16 game playoff plan would try yeah, yeah. to fix the your eagle problem. What's the eagle problem? That? Their eagle problem is if the Eagles win the NFC East or whoever wins the NFC East, they'll likely have a losing record and get home field for a game in the playoffs. Uh-huh. Under this proposal teams would be seeded by winning percentage, which means division winners wouldn't be guaranteed to host a playoff game, which means that the Eagles would go from hosting a playoff game against a lower seed to probably the Bears to probably going on the road to play Seattle or somebody mm-hmm. like that. That's a big change mid season in how this all works and format. Not that I think that the Eagles are a Super Bowl winning team in the way that they continue to play football, but it's a pretty significant change uh, during the season. Yes. It is, but I mean, who, who in the league is going to care, including Eagles fans. So the, is there any Eagles fan that's going to go, we got gypped if we make the playoffs on with what, with five wins. I think Eagles, nobody cares. Picture anything good happening in the playoffs. They're still. Oh, and by the way, it's not like you're going to get to go to the games, right? So, so who cares? It doesn't mean anything. I think generally people would have a problem with kind of changing midstream like that. I mean, you're in December and now you're going to change it. Like that's basically where it is. Well, so. then that to me, that gets solved if you do the right thing, which is then put the two, put them, put the AFC in one location, put the NFC in another location. Yes. And then oh, it's solved. just a question of seating. No, you're right about right. that. The bubble does solve some of those issues. Uh, Jeff, did you struggle through and watch the Eagles Dallas game last week? It was, it was just like, it was like, it was one of those games where you sit there and you go, I guess somebody's got to win. And then you remember, well, the Eagles already did tie a game. Maybe that can happen again. But the Eagles had the benefit of having their starting quarterback or had the detriment of having their starting quarterback, depending on which side of the Carson Wentz wagon you are. The Cowboys are starting people that nobody has ever heard of other than their own parents. Yeah, Danucci is now the third string for yes. this game not gilbert great is now starting the game i not, believe not <laughs> the option to start the game all right you know that in general i'm a carson wentz guy okay I like my my literary references <laughs> i did i did i did like it and i'm not going to come on here and like defend him and say he has no problems there are some things that he is a maddening quarterback he's not a dumb person but he makes some of the dumbest decisions on the football field and i get it he's trying not to give up on a play he i get it the offensive line is hurt your weapons whatever but you're still a quarterback okay so i'm gonna give you some numbers here he's been sacked a league high 32 times and has a league high 12 interceptions the eagles have 17 turnovers in their first eight games which is second just behind the cowboys Wentz has 16 of those 17 giveaways. The only one that wasn't on him was a Miles Sanders fumble in week two. Of those turnovers, opponents have converted 16 turnovers into 37 points 
including 34 in their losses against Washington, the Rams, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. 10 of his 16 turnovers came in those five games. And he averaged an interception every 25.4 pass attempts. Last year, it was every 86.7 pass attempts. So, so, so far, I haven't heard anything that's, that's balancing this out. There isn't a balance here other than they're still in first place in the East because the East sucks so bad. They're, his numbers are putrid, and yet he still goes out there with a lack of weapons. I mean, you want to talk about the running game. I get that Miles Sanders is out, but you come out with Boston Scott healthy, running well against a terrible, terrible run defense, like an all-time league-worst rushing defense in the Cowboys. You mean it's it's worse than the Phillies bullpen? Yes, it is. And the Eagles, they they just not, because of their line, maybe they don't trust it. They're 29th in run play percentage and 22nd in rushing attempts. They have the worst first down rush average at 3.3 in the whole league, Jeff. Who's this on? So who are you blaming for this? I, I Look, I'm blaming a lot of this on Doug. I've told you for a long time, no. Carson it hasn't been the same since Frank Reich left. I don't find Doug's play calling to be creative or imaginary. I don't think he has the weapons to use to call many imaginary plays, but but I think they're a very predictable offense right now. Even with the lack of weapons, they don't run any motion with receivers for misdirection. They get burned on misdirection every time a receiver runs in the opposite direction. On defense, they're not giving up rushing yards to the huge bruising backs they're giving up rushing yards on sweeps and jets to receivers that are doing reverses and quarterbacks that are running fast out of the way the eagles aren't doing any of that they're running carson wentz the most hit quarterback in the league at times which makes no sense to me you have running backs even if they don't think that they're the best boston scott was on fire early in the game against dallas it's not good at all Look, as far as I'm concerned, the person to be blamed most for this is not Carson Wentz, although I don't think Carson Wentz is as great as everybody thought he was. I think that the, the person to blame right now is Howie Roseman. Uh, how in the how in the world could he have saddled Doug Peterson with, with the dreck that's out there now? And yes, there have been injuries, but the question is, as a general manager, are you somebody that can bring, make sure that you have depth? They had no depth. We talked before the season started about this offensive line. The fact is they brought Jason Peters back because they had no depth. Okay. They have a real problem there. And what did they do? They went out and they drafted Jalen Hurts. Okay. And if you were going to bring him in because they were going to be creative, what is he doing on the sideline? But they're not being creative with him. They forced him into situations that don't fit. He was one of the best passers in college football. They bring him into the game when they're on the one yard line. And all he can do is do a dive someplace. Well, so so does that is that damning on Doug Peterson? We don't know, or is that damning on Jalen Hurts because he's not picking up the offense or is doing something wrong? You don't know that that's the problem here. If you were going to bring Jalen Hurts in here, there has to be a package of plays that they have to run game to game, and we are now at a point there is no excuse that they haven't gotten him assimilated into this offense unless he's not picking up the offense. And I don't know the answer to this question, but you're right. It is damning on Peterson only if Hertz isn't picking things up. Now, if he is picking, if he's not picking things up, then that's on Roseman because now they've wasted a pick. Another part of the problem though, with the offense is 
how tight end centric they were in the past compared to this season. They used two or three tight end groupings 56% of the time last season. In their first three games this year, they used it 59% of the time. In the last five games without Ertz or Goddard there, they've used Mm -hmm. it 19% of the time. So they're not even going with the offense that they know how to use. They've got players in positions. Look, Travis Fulgham, great find for them. But for all of those great finds, you've got a J.J. Ortega-Whiteside who's out there while I watch D.K. Metcalf not only catch people, but then catch them after the quarterback throws an interception 100 yards down the field. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I agree with you that Howie has to take a lot of blame here for the, the depth issues. But I still believe that Carson Wentz has not been the same and neither has Doug since Frank Reich walked out the door. And you can give me Press Taylor and Carson Welsh and everybody else in that system. I don't think it's working. Because somebody is not getting in Carson's ear and saying, you do this again, you're sitting down. There's no fear. I get that that doesn't help your quarterback. They would never do that. There's no fear of consequences for Carson out there. He does the same thing all the time and then sits at a press conference on a Zoom now. Look, I'm a supporter of his, but you can't say I need to be better with that read. No, you need to just throw the ball away and live for another day. That's allowed. Make a well, play so that, the next one. That might be the biggest enigma of Carson Wentz. He holds on to the ball too long Forever. and still turns it over too much. Forever. You, you, usually if you hold on to the ball too long, you get sacked and that's it. For some reason, Carson Wentz has found this amazing way to not only hold on to it too long, but then when he finally does make a decision, it's the wrong one. But at the same that's time, a problem. I go back to Doug and his play, play calling because I'd like to see more rollouts rather than deep drops. You've got problems off on the offensive line. You've got a quarterback who throws more accurate when he's on the run and you've got him doing He five doesn't trust his judgment. Drops. That's why he's not doing that. But his judgment when he takes a deep drop isn't doing very well either. Well, but if he, I guess he thinks if he's standing still, he's got better judgment than if he's on the run. I, guess I don't know so. what to tell you. that I, I think this whole team has a lack of trust with everything. We've got 30, 50, 20 seconds in the off week. They're going to fix this when we come back? No, they're not going to fix it, but they're still going to make the playoffs because the three other teams are awful. It is putrid. That's going to be the last stop for this week. Thanks so much for joining this week on the show. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.